0: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church
1: But the Lord answered her and again you can hear the grace in this the gentle rebuke the gentle stinging rebuke Martha, Martha you are anxious and troubled, ouch about many things but one thing is necessary Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her I can
0: see the promised land. Though there's pain within the plan, there is victory in
1: the end. Your love is my battle cry. The answer for all my
0: life. Every giant will fall. The mountains will move. Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California We are so delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the broadcast And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can On today's broadcast, we'll be hearing a message from a sermon series that Pastor Keith has entitled Proclaim to the End of the Earth So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the Gospel of Luke, Chapter 10 now, here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
1: Father, we thank you for this day, the Lord's Day, a day we can come together as a church family in this building and virtually and worship you in the beauty of your holiness. Help us, Father, as we begin a new year, 2021, to, uh, to refocus, to declutter, to prioritize, to get our heads on straight for the challenges and the joys and the blessings that lie ahead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the short title for today's message is Declutter, Refocus, and Prioritize. And the basis of all this is that we're starting a new year. Like I said earlier, Happy New Year. 2020 is behind us, hopefully in the rear view. And as it gets further behind us, probably the further, the better, the sooner. Now, at the same time, when you begin a new year, it's good to look back, right? Right? It's good to look back and take stock in what did or didn't happen. Some would say to gain perspective. Some would say to regain perspective. And in our culture and in our society, particularly this previous year, this previous year was unlike any other, I would wager, that any of us have lived through. We had a pandemic. We had a pretty brutal political and cultural and societal year, election year. And so hopefully by God's grace, 2021 will be a better year. We'll see. we'll see. You know, somebody said when things are really bad and you think it can't get any worse, it can. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. But if you're like me, you are tempted during 2020 to become distracted at times, to, become, to take your eyes off the ball, so to speak, to look at the world around us, And take our eyes off of the Lord. And I hope this message will help get you back on track. As we kick off a new year and we kick off this uh, series on evangelism, we want to remember that the reason we are here, the reason we exist, is to fulfill the Great Commission. God has given his people different responsibilities down through the ages, from the Moses and the Prophets, and with the coming of Christ and the birth of the church, he has given us a responsibility, a commission. We call it the Great Commission. It's found in Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen through 20. Jesus came to them and said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given unto me. So he's speaking with authority, thus saith the Lord. Go, make disciples, tell people about me. Those who are saved, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. And then to teach them all that I've commanded you. For lo, look, remember, I am with you even to the end of the age. And that's kind of the credo of this church, right? Be one, bring one, build one. We want to be genuine believers, genuine Christ followers committed to his cause. And that involves bringing one to faith in Christ, pointing people to Jesus. In this broken, hurting, messed up world, this society, this culture, which is the Titanic, we want to get people off of this juggernaut that's headed to the bottom and onto the good ship kingdom of God, right? So we want to bring one to faith in Christ, and then we want to build them up to help them mature in the faith so they can be a real Christian and bring others to faith in Christ. All of us have this responsibility It's not just left to the experts. It's every individual Christian's responsibility to share the good news of great joy, which is for all people, that under them was born a Savior, Christ the Lord. And so as we kick off this uh, series on evangelism, I'm supposed to lay the foundation for all of this today, and we'll see what happens. Because it's easy for you and me to get distracted, to have our attention turned to, to become, to lose focus. And I'm going to give you some examples of losing focus, of losing perspective today uh, in a modern context and in a not-so-modern context. So let's go back long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away when I was a soccer player playing on a soccer team at my school. I was a center midfielder. I don't know what they call the position today because I no longer follow soccer. But I was a center midfielder and I was very good at what I did. I played varsity, lettered, all that good stuff. But there was a guy on the team named David Sefner and he was a striker and he was an amazing ball handler. And our coach, Alan Knickerbocker, the Dutchman with a name like Knickerbocker, you knew he wasn't Irish, right? Uh, He had this drill that we would do where he called it line on backfield or something like that and basically the strikers would take on the midfielders and then they'd take on the fullba- fullbacks. And what you would have is kind of a one-on-one thing, something like they do in football, in, a, in American football today. And as good as David was, and he was light years better than me, there was something psychological that when he and I lined up, I always got the better of this guy. And it just drove him nuts because I was clearly the inferior player. And unbeknownst to me, this bugged him. And as the season went on and practices went on and games went on, it just got worse, worse. And a couple of times I heard him talking in the locker room, you know, about me. And I thought, well, you know, you know, we don't have chemistry. That's no big deal. So one day in a practice, we did the whole line on backfill thing. And I took the ball and he reached up and he just stomped my right instep with those cleats as hard as he possibly could. And then he apologized. Okay. It hurt, as you would imagine. But what really hurt is when he did it three more times that day. Okay? Which put me out for two games, and it took three weeks before I could run and perform normally. And what had happened is whatever was going on in his head, he lost perspective. I was his teammate, not his enemy. And his responsibility, and my responsibility to him, was to help, not hurt the team or individual teammates but that is what happens it's a breathtaking loss of perspective it took my breath when he stomped that foot the third or fourth time i'll give you another one again in, this time indirectly involving me <clears throat> long ago when i worked in south florida a colleague of mine was the manager of a five-star five diamond resort hotel he It was one of the finest hotels probably in America, if not the world. And uh, he had something else he did. He was a phenomenal polo player, which is hard to do because you got to have like so many ponies because they get tired during the game and everything. And he was a phenomenal polo player and he would play at Wellington at the Palm Beach uh, Polo Club. And anyway, one day he was invited they were going to put a team together and he was going to play on the team of a guy named Prince Charles. This is in the 80s. Prince Charles then was the Prince of Wales and he was a newlywed. He had just married Lady Diana and he was coming to Palm Beach. And so this guy was going to be put on the team with him. Now that was going to require him to take his game up a notch or two. One of the dirty secrets of American polo is that half of the players are rodeo riders because they can't find a lot of polo players and so you can get a rodeo rider cowboy and get him up to speed and make him competent quickly but if you're gonna play with Prince Charles you can't be a cowboy you got to be a polo player so my colleague started practicing now this would require this was the busy season for the hotel where you're gonna have 800 or 900 or thousand guests a day very demanding people, a very persnickety clientele. Persnickety is a Greek theological term, which means difficult. <laughs> <laughs> and so my buddy, not, not, he really actually wasn't my buddy. I didn't care for him particularly, but that's another story for another day. Um, <clears throat> so he's going to have to throw himself headlong into this. So how do you do that and run one of the finest hotels in America, if not the world? Well, something's got to go, and it was the hotel. And so he was practicing every day and then occasionally he'd drop in on work to see how things were going. And that had an amazing result. His polo improved and he got fired because he had a breathtaking loss of perspective. No matter how famous that paragon of marital fidelity Prince Charles was, nothing takes the place of your primary mission. And that one polo game wasn't worth, I would submit to you, getting fired unless you become distracted and you've forgotten your primary goal and purpose. So, this is what we're talking about. Now let me give you two other examples. One is from the New Testament and one is from the Old Testament. One is Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. And this is a story many of you are familiar with and it's the story of Martha, Mary, and Jesus Jesus comes to the home of Martha and Mary, and we'll pick it up there. Luke 10, 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And the sense of it here in the original grammar is too much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her. Listen to his gracious answer. You can feel it. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about so many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her now let's understand the context of all this so Jesus was a regular visitor at this house Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus were very good friends with Jesus this is not like Prince Charles showing up in the normal sense of the word now at the same time this is on the heels of Jesus sending out the 72 witnesses to proclaim the gospel And they amazed themselves with the powers that Jesus had bestowed upon them. You know, even the demons believe, Even the demons, I'm sorry, obeyed. By now, he's fed the 5,000 and the 4,000. His ministry and teaching and visibility have peaked. He's performed many, many miracles by now. And also, this is on the heels of the transfiguration. When he rolls back his humanity and reveals his deity. And word, as they say, gets out. And now he's come to Mary and Martha's home, the Messiah. By now, people have figured out this guy is the Messiah. And if they didn't figure it out, he's told them in a hundred different ways. He's, he's claimed deity by now. And so now he's coming to your house. What are you going to do? Well, you just sit there while I go do the dishes. Not, all right? And so Mary chooses to sit at his feet and listen to her Messiah, the promised one, that Israel has waited for all these years, oh, for hundreds of years. And Martha is busy doing stuff. And it's not really an, a, 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 an oversimplification. She is just busy doing junk. She's lost perspective. The Messiah is here. God, the, Son's, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, is here. What are you going to do? Rearrange the furniture, work on the draperies. What are you going to do? Vacuum? Or are you going to sit at his feet? The Messiah is at your house and you are too busy to sit and listen because you've got stuff to do. We read, but Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, she said essentially, Lord, why are you doing this to me? How many people ask a question like that? Lord, do you not care? My sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her. And again, you can hear the grace in this. The gentle rebuke. The gentle stinging rebuke. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled. Ouch. About many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Luke 10, 38 to 42, give or take. See, what's going on here? She's lost perspective. Stuff has gotten between her and God. She's even rebuked Jesus, which would be a big no-no with Jewish hospitality. And in the end, the ever-gracious Savior has, in a manner of speaking, called her to a change of direction, a change of heart. We would call it repentance. To forget about the junk And focus on the one thing. Now here's another situation. This one's equally over the top. It's an older, more graphic example. It contains a ton of information that gives you some perspective. Let me set it up for you. It's in Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. It's taking place in post-exilic Israel. What does that mean? Remember, the Jews who just loved to give themselves over to idolatry time and time again, finally suffered the country. God destroyed the nation and had them deported to Babylon and all over the place, Persia, whatever. And after 70 years, as he promised he would, he was going to allow them to return to rededicate themselves, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, to rebuild the temple. We've all read, or maybe you know about Ezra and Nehemiah. This is in, in that milieu. And they start well. They build walls. They clear the foundation. They get off to a great start. And then they just seem to lose focus. They get wrapped up in stuff. They become distracted and anxious about so many things. And they stop. This is after their parents have been carried off into exile for doing the similar kind of thing. This is after they've miraculously been brought back and given this mission to rebuild the city and the temple and now they're too busy. And 16 to 18 years after returning, all work on the temple has stopped. And God is going to speak into this and he's going to call them, he's going to call them to declutter their lives, to to refocus, to reprioritize, to clarify what they're about and he's going to explain to them why their life is so messed up at this point in time. Haggai 1 1 through 15. In the second year of Darius the king in the sixth month of the first day of the month the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel governor of Judah and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Boy, when you hear that in those days, it's like in the Navy saying, now hear this. And most of the time, the news wasn't great. Thus says the Lord of all there is. These people, now you know it's like your father saying to your mother, this son of yours, right, this daughter of yours, these people, not my people, these people say, The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Watch this rhetorical question. It's convicting. Is it time? Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house sits in ruins? Now, a paneled house is not a lean-to. It's not a tent. It's a finished, built house tricked-out house, you know, better homes and gardens, right? And he's saying, so is, is, this, is it a time for yourselves to be dwelling like this when my house lies in ruins, when the temple lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, uh-oh, consider your ways, or you could say reconsider your ways, and then watch this all play out. You have sown much and harvested a little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Not a good picture. Verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Verse eight, go, go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified. What you have here is a picture of tough love because he's confronting them. He's like, man, you guys have really missed the boat here. I brought you back. I brought you here safely. I've given you this mission to reestablish the temple in this city that is to be the theological epicenter of the universe and what have you done you've gotten wrapped up in all this other stuff and you can't find fulfillment because you never have quite have enough because something's wrong there's a void in you and something's wrong and then he goes on to elaborate why are they so unsettled why are things just not going right never enough food never enough drink never warm enough never never enough money verse 9 you look for much, but behold, or and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, when you did bring it home, look at this. I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because. Because my house, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, He's saying, open your eyes, people. Verse 10, therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called, I, the Lord of hosts, and I have called for a drought on the land and on the hills and on the grain and the new wine, the oil, and on what the ground brings forth on man and beast and all their labors. I've wrecked your economy. He's wanting to point them back to their priority, to their purpose. What he's commissioned them to do. They're off mission. And what are the results of this loving rebuke? Because this is a rebuke, but it's loving. And you'll see this play out even more now in a few moments. Verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and with all the remnant of the people, everybody, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent them. And the people feared the Lord. People revered the Lord. The people respected the Lord. The people were terrified. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, watched this, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. And that message was this. I I am with you. I am with you, declares the Lord. It's a greater perspective here. You know, at the end of the Great Commission, he says, I'm with you even to the end of the age. He's with them. They've messed it up again. And in his mercy and grace, he's rebuked them.
0: And you can also find links to Pastor Keith's blog, as well as the Out of My Mind podcast. The website is also a great place to connect with us here at Hillside. You can find information on our service times, ministry opportunities, and of course you can browse our calendar of upcoming events. Again, all this and much, much more can be found by visiting our website, hillsidechurch.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time on Grace to Live. But until then...